0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join this live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We're going to do something a little different from uh, what your listening guide says, so you can put that aside this morning. And um, this has been kind of a heavy week for our church family. And so, if you'd permit me, I'm just going to jump right into the scripture this morning. We're looking at uh, Philippians chapter one. We're going to look at verse twelve. Um, as you're turning there, let me just give you a little background of what's happening here. This um, in, in this passage, this passage is from a guy by the name of Paul, the famous apostle Paul. He's probably the greatest missionary Christian missionary in history. Traveled all over the world to share the message of the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ around the world. And he wrote several of these letters to um, some of these churches in these cities. And this is a letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, the city is named Philippi, and there's a church that's, that's there. And he wrote this letter to them. And um, this is a very personal part of this letter that we're going to look at. It's in chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 12, and this will help us get a little bit of a context behind what's going on in this letter. So look with me at Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. This is a really interesting uh, part of a letter that Paul's written because it's very personal and he's describing what's happening to him right now. And it it's really puts flesh on this letter. Paul, when he writes this letter, is imprisoned. He talks about literally having chains. Around him, and so probably what is happening at this moment is he's probably in um, in a prison kind of environment. There's a couple different ways that he could be in prison, but most likely he's actually chained to a uh, a guard. He's in Rome. He's chained to a guard, and that type of scenario we know from history. Those guards would tend to be very cruel in that uh, in that context they he literally can't go anywhere without this guard uh letting him and so this guard would be they'd They'd rotate out in shifts, and he's just really at the mercy of this guard in this situation. with With these chains, he can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. He's completely restrained. He's probably subject to the cruelty of that guard. He's probably um, he's he's not only lost his freedom, but he's certainly lost his comforts. He's in uh, he's in obvious going to be obvious uh, bodily pain in this situation. But he's really what he describes here, and what makes this passage so interesting is he's really describing two different kinds of persecution that he's experiencing. The first is by this oppressive empire that has, because he's preaching the gospel, the only reason he's been imprisoned, he's not done anything wrong, the only reason that he's been imprisoned is because he preached the gospel. So there's this outside oppressive regime that's persecuting him and has him chained in this prison. But there's another kind of persecution that he's experiencing. I don't know if you noticed it in this passage. There's another kind, and really this is unpacking the two different types of persecution that Christians face. Because interestingly, the other type of persecution he's facing is not from outside the church persecuting in. But he's experiencing persecution from within the church. What he says is that there are some that because I've been imprisoned by the gospel, what he says is that's emboldened them to preach the gospel. But he says that there are others who are preaching the gospel. So these are Christians. He says there's others who are taking this opportunity... To use it for their advancement, their ambition. He's he's describing. He later describes he's not going to be shamed for the gospel, and it sounds like what's happening. As we kind of put the pieces together, and scholars for generations have been trying to put the pieces together of what is he, what's happening in the outside world that he's being oppressed from within the church, and what's being described here is that there's others that see this vacuum of leadership because Paul is now in prison, and they're jumping into that vacuum of leadership out of their own ambition. They're jumping in, they're they're pushing Paul down, they're probably talking shamefully about Paul, they're kind of putting him down because they have their own ambition, they have their own drive, they have their own things that that they want to do and they want to accomplish and they're pushing Paul down. And here we have described for the entire Christian church throughout history in this one moment where Paul is being squeezed from every angle, we have described the two types of persecution that the Christian church throughout history has faced. One is where the enemy stirs up persecution from outside in, and the other, which is often so much more confusing and in a lot of ways emotionally tumultuous, is when the evil one stirs up persecution from within and tries to pull a church apart from the inside out. So we have Paul here and and he's being squeezed. He's had his his freedom stripped from him. His comfort stripped from him. He's had his dignity stripped from him. Now he's having his reputation slandered. That's being stripped from him. He's uh, probably in pain in experiencing injustices against himself. What is going to be his response? Look what he says. Um, This is phenomenal. Verse 18. What then? He says, this is where I'm at. I'm experiencing persecution from the outside in and from the inside out. He says, so now what? He says, what should be my response? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We get a glimpse of Paul and what's in his heart in this moment everything is being reduced down we see everything of who he is what he's made of it's all being distilled down to the to the smallest part of who he is when he's being squeezed and wrung out we see what's truly inside of him what's deep down at the core it's one thing one heartbeat one fiery blood that's firing through his veins it's one thing he says it all boils down to this all I care about is that the gospel would be preached. If that costs me my freedom, but the gospel's being preached, I'll rejoice. If it costs me my comfort, But the gospel's being preached, he says, that's my goal, so I'll surrender my comfort easily if the gospel can be preached. He says, if I have to surrender my preferences, if I have to surrender my dignity, if I have to surrender justice, if I have to surrender anything else, he says, I'll surrender it all. Because when it comes down to it, there's one Thing, there's one thing distilled down there's one thing that I care about and it's not my comfort it's no, there's no other idol there, it's not my success it's not my plans it's not my career it's not my happiness it's one thing all boils down to this is the gospel being preached and if the gospel's being preached then I will rejoice And if you read through the book of Philippians, and I would challenge you to maybe do that this week, read it through a couple times, it's a short book. In this letter, there is no concept more common in this book, and there's no other book that proclaims this as much as the book of Philippians about rejoicing. Because even though his body may be in pain, even though his freedom may be gone, even though his comforts may be stripped, even though his preferences may be nowhere in sight, he's watching the gospel continue to go out, and he says, so that's all I needed, I rejoice." He says, my whole life boils down to one thing. And then he says this next phrase. And this phrase has reverberated through the generations, through the Christian church. It has been a war cry. It has been a banner of the church for generations. He says this in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, My heartbeat is the gospel. I just want to see the gospel go out. That's my number one goal. He says, So if that's going out, it doesn't matter what else is happening in my world, in my circumstances, to me. It doesn't matter anything else. I have one dream, one goal, one ultimate purpose in my life is that the gospel is going out. So if that's happening, that's my one desire, and I rejoice. And he says, It really boils down to this this is my life. He says, if if I'm to live, as long as I'm walking on this planet, I have one thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to labor for Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it all up to further the kingdom of God and get the love of Jesus out there and further the gospel. If I'm going to live, it means one thing, fruitful labor for Jesus Christ in that alone. And he says, and then if I die, that's even better because I stand before my Savior and I'm in His presence. He says, it's really a a no-lose situation for me. If I live, it's for Jesus. If I die, I'm with Jesus. It's a no-lose situation. You know, we read this and sometimes it's easy for us to say, man, that Paul, he was a -a one-of-a-kind. I mean, he was, I mean, elite kind of follower of christ i mean he's the type to aspire to you know maybe if i could just get a little kernel of that sprinkled in my heart and kind of shaken up and maybe if just a little bit of that could could uh, could sprout or if i could just move just a little bit in that direction man praise god i mean what what a model for us to go after it's easy for us to look at that and say man that, that paul man he was the elite he was the model but i want you to see what he says next Look at what he says to the Philippians, verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now look what he says, verse 27. Only let your... Manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, so you Philippians, he says, man, I, I'm expecting that I'll, I'll be here longer because I, I feel like there's more that I'm called to do for you. I, I, I believe, Paul says, I, I'm thinking, I don't know for sure, but what I'm sensing is that I'll be released from prison. I'll be able to visit you again. And he says, and this is what I want to kindle in you. This is what I want to stir up in you is that if you were to live, you would live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's the gospel that he had preached to them so many times Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the comfort and splendor of heaven. And he comes down to earth. Why? Because we're lost. In our sin facing an eternity without God in hell. Facing the wrath of God. And God could not stand by and watch that happen. So Jesus leaves the comfort of heaven and he comes down to us. The great missionary, the son of God, comes down to us, humanity. And he comes to us and he comes to be rejected and despised and spit upon and crucified on the cross. He offered up his life as a sacrifice. He spent it all. He offered it up to, to God and he died on the cross. And God poured out the wrath that we deserve on jesus cross uh, on jesus christ on the cross and on the third day he rose again from the dead and he says your the story that defines your life is the gospel it's that god did not leave you to fend for yourself you who are needy you who are are left alone spiritually impoverished he says jesus came to you and he offered up his life he spent it all for you the needy and he says live a life worthy of that. And Jesus, Jesus' own words to us, he says, so if, if you're going to follow after me, this is what it looks like. Take up your cross and follow me. Church, we use the, uh, the word around here, mathetes. It's the ancient Greek word, the original word used to describe a follower of Christ. And the reason we use that it's not because it's you know fancy or it's catchy or anything like that the reason we use that ancient word is because it's a reminder that we're fighting the same enemy today that our forefathers were fighting 2000 years ago we're not in some new place in the world where it's like, well, you know, things are pretty safe and we can just kind of be comfortably following after Jesus in our happy world. No, it's because there's the same call to arms to spread the scandalous love of Jesus Christ throughout this world. And nothing has changed since Jesus first commissioned us to go out and make math of all the world. Earlier this week, about uh, Tuesday, I was talking to one of my mentors and sharing some of the things that were, just some of the things that were going on in our, in, our, uh, in our church and just in the South Florida church. And I was explaining, you know, some of the, we were talking about the, um, the challenges of ministry and the challenges of spreading the love of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And he said this phrase to me and, and um, I, it just stuck with me. I haven't been able to forget it. He says, well, this is the time of our expenditure. And the richness of that really just grabbed a hold of me and it's not let go because it reminded, it reminded me, it was just so clear in my heart, it reminded me, you know, this life, if we're in Jesus, we're going to spend an eternity by his side. But right now is a time to expend our life. It's a time to offer this life up to Jesus and spend it for him. This is the time of our expenditure. Not the time of our comfort. Not the time of our freedom. Not the time of our safety. Not the time of our happiness. It's the time of our expenditure. For the name of Jesus Christ. And I didn't know... how much I would need that in my heart. To make it through the last 48 hours. Tuesday evening, our team of 15 left South Florida to fly to uh, Burkina Faso, Africa. We partner uh, with sheltering wings over there. And the team was going over there, you know, just people from our church uh, went over to be a part of the, the great work they do over there with the orphanage, with um, abandoned and abused women. Um, they were planning to do a Tom Shoes drop. They're planning on working with uh, the, one, of the, in one of the most impoverished countries in the world. And as they were um, descending into Ouagadougou, the capital of Burkina Faso, they were 1,500 feet from the runway and there were some explosions and a terrorist incident in Ouagadougou. The pilot of the airplane um, immediately gunned it and took back off, and the flight was rerouted to Niger and then on to Togo, where our team spent the, spent the night and, um, to, to, for their safety, and then they traveled back to Burkina Faso, where they found our, uh, a, a safe place where they're at right now. They're, they're safe, and we're waiting for their flight home. Uh, we will have them back here on Wednesday uh, as soon as possible, but they're, we praise God that they are safe and for his protective hand on them. And uh, we were going, we're, we're involved with uh, Sheltering Wings primarily because of our missionaries that we support over there, great friends of our church, uh, Mike and Amy Rittering, who are South Florida natives. They've, they, uh, he, uh, there's a picture, there's Mike and Amy. Mike owned a, a boat business down here and um, was a part of Hollywood Community Church and um, felt a call to ministry and then felt a call to missions. And several years ago, went over to the mission field and we immediately um, jumped in and wanted to be a part of, of partnering with HCC and partnering with some of the local churches to support him and have taken mission trips over there. We, a- every dollar you give to West Pines, a piece of that goes over to the Ritterings in Burkina Faso and we've taken teams over there and support him. And uh, he's a a dear friend. And and, uh, Mike was in a cafe waiting for our team to land in Ouagadougou with a local pastor, Pastor Valentin, also a good friend of ours, and um, a local pastor in Burkina Faso. Sitting in this cafe waiting for our team. And um, we uh, learned that Amy got a phone call from Pastor Valentin was a frantic phone call on uh, Friday, asking for prayer. The phone uh, died out, and we began about 24 hours of agony and praying because we didn't know if Pastor Valentin or Mike Rittering were okay. And we spent 24 hours weeping and crying for God, hoping that he had survived the terrorist attack on the cafe that he was waiting for our team. Yesterday, around 3 p.m., we got notified After um, a long wait, that uh, our brother, um, Mike Rittering, had uh, died in the attack and was standing, all the while we were praying, he was standing at the Savior's side. And uh, the Lord has seen fit to give us a personal living model of what it means to live for Christ. But the death is gain. We are praying for the Rittering family, and we're thanking God for the incredible legacy that Mike Rittering has left for us as he joins the ranks of some of the church's most historical figures that have given their life for the cause of Christ. And This is a reminder to us, church, of the significance of what we're doing I think the best way for us to respond to something like this as we're wrestling with God and trying to understand, I think the best way for us to respond as a church is to stop and be reminded of the significance of what we are doing. It's the same enemy that put Paul in prison. That's at loose in this world that we're warring against as a local church. It's that what we do when we meet here every Sunday is we're waging war against the enemy, the evil one that is, that is trying to hold back the kingdom of God. And that every person that you invite to church, every, every time you serve this church, we are engaged In something that this world desperately needs, what we're doing here, it is not a game. It is the hope of the world. I have never been so proud to be a part of this church as this past week. Last Sunday, we uh, we talked about how the Lord had brought to our church an opportunity to reach out and help another local church. And for the time being, God has shut the door, which is fine. We're, we're completely okay with that. But there was a moment last week where we were talking about how God opened up the opportunity for us to reach out and help the church. And we talked very openly last Sunday of what that would mean for us and how the, the, the tremendous challenges that that would bring to our doorstep. We talked about the, the tremendous challenges um, how it would stretch us and how it would push us and how the things that, were com- that are nice and safe and comfortable about our church, how those things might have to change and it would be on all of our shoulders and it, it would stretch us in every way we talked about. We might, well, we're might we gonna have to give up all kinds of things. We might have to hold the name of our church loosely and we might have to start talking about all different things like multi-side and, and it meant some of us might be sitting at a video venue watching a screen and that might make me uncomfortable and we're talking about all these safety things, all these, all these things that are safe to us and comfortable to us about our church and we talked about how we would have to hold them loosely and I've never been so proud to be part of a church than watching the overwhelming response. It was, if this is going to further the kingdom of God, then let's go. We'll pray and we'll fast. It's open-handed because what, what's important to me is not my comfort. It's, it, it's not that, well, this is how my church is and it's nice and it's safe and predictable. No, what it, what, if God is calling us to something, then let's go. Let's, let's go in if it's going to bring health to the kingdom of God. If it's going to bring more people and save their souls for eternity, then let's charge in. And church, what we said last week is we don't know what God is doing, but God is doing something and I don't know what's coming down the line for our church in the next couple weeks, next couple months, next couple years, but what we're sensing as a leadership is that we have to be on standby, on the ready for when he calls us into action. And the way that we will respond is we will have the heart that Paul has where we will stop and we will say, you know what, I'm not holding on to any personal preference. I'm not holding on to anything that's just the way I like it or the way I'm comfortable or the way that's predictable. No, I'm holding it all open-handed because there's one thing that my life boils down to, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the best ways as a church that we can follow in the legacy of our dear friend, Mike, Is with the same abandon, aggressively go forth in our mission field that He's called us to right here. Do you realize what your calling is? Your calling is to live a life worthy of the gospel. Do you know what your calling is tomorrow morning? You are a missionary. Missionaries are not just people we send off and we we send our our support and our love and our funds and our prayers. You are a missionary. If you are a mathetase, if you're following after Jesus, what we did is we took all of our agenda and we hung it up and said, I'm with you, Jesus. Your number one goal is to sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ. So I will follow after you and that is my number one goal. And we as a church will answer that call no matter what the cost. There's a, a great uh, missionary, famous missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. And he served, gave his life for um, China about 100 years ago. And there's a story in his diary, a journal. This isn't an illustration, this is something he lived and he actually witnessed. But it transformed his life. He was on a riverboat. And he was preaching and sharing the gospel, even on this riverboat. He he was that dedicated as a a missionary. Any chance he got to share the gospel, he would. And afterwards, he starts this conversation with this man who did not believe in Jesus and had tons of questions. And they talked through the afternoon into the evening. And and the man said, man, you've answered so many of my questions. I'm really kind of struggling with this. And I've got more questions. I just need to think. Maybe maybe we meet up again later this evening. I'd like to ask you more questions. And... um, Hudson Taylor said, well, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And he said, you know, not at this time, I, I'm not ready, I, I, just, I just have more questions, can we meet up later this, this evening? And so Hudson Taylor said, sure, absolutely, and he goes uh, beneath, below decks and, and he's studying or he's working and he's just, and uh, a little while later he hears a, a splash into the water and he hears this commotion. And he runs above deck and he's standing there. This is something he actually experienced and witnessed. He goes back on deck and and he's finding out what happens. He sees everyone looking over to where the splash had happened. And it turns out that man that he had just been talking to had fallen into into the water and he had not surfaced. And so Hudson Taylor, he's looking and no one knows what to do. And so he jumps in the water and he's, he's swimming around. He's trying to find him and he can't find this man who's under the water. And um, he doesn't know what to do. And he looks over and he sees at the other side of the river, he sees a boat there. And these, these fishermen are casting these nets into the water. And he realizes that their only hope of getting this man is if they would drop their nets, drag it across the river and pull him up. They would get this man and be able to pull him up and they might be able to resuscitate him. So he looks over at the fishermen and he says, and he says there's a man and he's underwater. He's drowning here. Please come over here and drop your nets and pull them up. And in his utter utter shock and amazement, their response was, look, we're fishing right now. And they actually said, we can't handle the inconvenience. We have to continue fishing right here. And he was shocked, but he was so urgent. He said, please, would you please come over here? If you just drop your nets, we can pull this up. A man's life is at stake. And they said, no, well, you know, we're making a living here. Okay, we're, This is how we're supporting our families. We're, we're trying to pull up these fish in this net, and, and we, can't, we, can't, we can't handle that cost. And he says, I will give you whatever money I, 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 you need. Just come over here and drop the nets. And to still his shock, they said, okay, well, but how much will you give us? He says, please, I'll give you everything I have. Please come over here and drop the nets. And finally, they reluctantly, half-heartedly, and slowly come over. They drop their nets. They they immediately pull up this man. They take him to the shore, and they were not able to resuscitate him. And Hudson Taylor's journaling through this experience, and he's he's experiencing so much pain and so much rage at what had taken place and at the fact that they were just utterly could not have cared less about this man's life and they were just too busy to be inconvenienced with this man's life and he was just in so much pain and then the thought hit him like a Mack truck. Jesus called us to be fishers of men. And he said, you just drop the nets I'll fill it with fish. And too often, tossing the nets are an inconvenience. Too costly. Too distracting. And Hudson Taylor, in his pain, realized that so often the Christian church, who has the hope for the world, called to be fishers of men just simply need to realize the call of Christ. It is an inconvenience. It is costly and it will demand our whole lives and he's calling us to drop the nets and he will fill it with souls. Church, may we never be the church who is too inconvenienced too wrapped up with our own preferences, too absorbed with our own issues, and, and too scared of the costliness. May we never be that church that refuses to urgently paddle over and drop our nets just to save one more soul. May we always be an expression of the historic Christian church, the mathetes who respond to the call of Jesus and say, whatever it takes, we give up our lives Because the only thing we rejoice in, first and foremost, is the gospel, whatever it takes. May you be commissioned this morning. May this morning our brother's graduation, as he stood before Jesus and heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You lived a life that was worthy of the gospel. May that be a rally cry and a reminder for us that it is urgent There are drowning souls, and the calling on every one of us is to respond and to drop our nets. You are called to spend your life as a missionary. This is the time of your expenditure. Your Sabbath rest is coming when you're in the presence of Jesus. We're going to end our services a little bit different this morning. We're going to end with two songs. The first one is a song for our healing. It's a song to be ministered to us and to be reminded of our loving Father who's in control. And um, I don't know where you're at and what you're wrestling with with God. What type of persecution you're wrestling with. Because you may be wrestling with the type of persecution that's from the outside in, or you may be wrestling with the type of persecution that's from the inside out. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I know that this morning I believe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to our hearts. And So we're going to close with two songs. The first one is to minister to us, and then the second one is a declaration and a celebration, and we're going to leave on that note. But here's what we're going to do in a moment. I'm going to pray, and afterwards, um, it's just a time for healing and for worship. You can worship there in your seat. Or we're also going to open up the front here as kind of an altar, so to speak. And some of you may want to just come forward as just a a demonstration of submission and brokenness before the Lord. You may want to kneel down here somewhere just quietly between you and God and pray. We'll have have some of our leaders will be up here. You may want to just pull one aside and ask for prayer. And you may want to come forward for a number of reasons. You may be coming forward because God has convicted you. It's you've forgotten and thinking that this is a game and you don't realize that the whole world is depending on the fervor of the local church and God working through the local church. And you might want to come forward and just have a quiet moment of surrender and brokenness and confession and repentance before the Lord where you rededicate your life to his purposes. And maybe you come and just quietly kneel here and rededicate your life and confession and repentance and refine your purpose. You may need to come forward in grief And brokenness and pain and just, you may want to just come forward and kneel and just say, God, please just put the pieces back together and it might be just an expression of worship for you to come down front like that. Or maybe some of you are here and you're saying, you know, I've been just kind of messing with this Jesus stuff and I'm realizing that I'm just kind of sprinkling that in my life, but I'm realizing today the call of Christ is all or nothing. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again from the dead and I am putting my faith in Jesus and I'm going to follow after him with all that I've got. Some of you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time this morning. And maybe that's why you come forward to quietly kneel, to give your, your soul... To Jesus. In fact, if that's you, if you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, I need to give my life over to Jesus. I put my faith in him for the first time. I want my sins washed away. I want to follow after him with everything I've got. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, then I want you just to pray this quiet prayer between you and God this morning. Would you just lift up this prayer to Jesus right there in your seat? Just pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rising again from the dead and defeating death and sin. I put my faith in you. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for calling me to such a great mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you'd like to speak with someone about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.